Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 138 of A Play on Nerds, a chilling, creepily creepy, hair-raising Halloween special. If you don't remember, it's been a while. I'm one of your co-hosts, Steve. This other guy is Jarman. And yeah, we're back after probably almost a, a year or more uh, since our last A Play on Nerds regular episode, which I think was the Christmas special of 2020. Wow. Yeah. So welcome back. It's been a hot minute. We're here to bring you nerdy banter talk, and we're just trying to remember how we do this. Yeah, it's been a while, but we're hoping you guys are excited for this uh, return of a play on nerds. And, and 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 Steve, what have you been up to? We usually have a week weekly update, yeah, weekly update, <laughs> but it's more like a yearly update at this point. Uh, Joyce started transitional kindergarten. And who's Joyce? Tell us who Joyce is. Joyce is my daughter. Yes, exactly. Uh, started TK. Uh, we decided to do homeschool because the start of her school year was right when Delta was surging real bad. Mm, coronavirus. Uh, and so we just went, you know what? TK is optional anyway. We're going to keep her home and do remote stuff. So she's been doing iPad learning and then worksheets and that kind of stuff. It's been what's, great. What's TK mean? Transitional kindergarten. It means that she w- her birthday is right after the cutoff. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Um, but any kid whose birthday is right after the cutoff, but before December, they offer TK. Because they don't want them to be behind or bored because they're ready to start school. Right. And Joyce is very ready to start school. Uh, <laughs> Dilly, my son, is 16 months old. Wow. He's walking and slinging words around like rocks. <laughs> and he is just a lord of chaos and trouble for anything three feet tall or lower. <laughs> And it's funny because I was listening back to some old episodes of a play on nerds when we were starting this one. I was making new folders and stuff on my computer, and I was like, I listened back to some early episodes. I'm like, wow, this is before Steve had any kids, and we yeah, started right? this thing way back seven years ago, basically at this point. Yeah, I was so, living in a basement in Brooklyn. Yeah, with what well, we heard sirens going by and everything. It was, it was. Oh yeah. And now you traded sirens for children's cries. So that's th- right. That works Different well. Noise. <laughs> uh, we bought our car which was like a four month ordeal. So that's fun, but finally finished took forever. And what you got now? Oh man. A sweet little Honda fit. Oh yeah, babe. It's red and basically a lawnmower. <laughs> uh, Pretty exciting. And then, and then really, if anything, the, the, the pandemic has brought on even more like tabletop role playing games for me. Yeah, and you live in uh, mid-California, I guess you would call it now, right? Mid-California? Yeah, people call us Northern California. There's quotation marks you can't see around that. But mm-hmm. really, we are in the very, very south of what would be considered Northern California. So kind of like mid-California, yeah. Yeah. Which is good, because you're kind of like not too far of a distance. If you want to take a day trip to different places in California, you're kind of the midpoint of those places. But it's a big-ass state, so it's hard to, to go go anywhere. Oh, yeah. Like you think like, oh, we'll just head up to Oregon, but it's like seven hours to the border. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's insane. And how far is it to L.A.? 
LA is like six, six and a half. Oof. If if you're lucky with traffic and stuff. But San Fran's close. San Fran's like 40 minutes with no traffic. Oh, that's not bad at all. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, Jeremy, what have you been up to this year? Well, I mean, uh, people who last uh, heard us, I mean, I have had this girlfriend for a while, Jolie. It was going wonderfully. We're very happy together. Um, and I, since then, have been doing lots of voiceover work, tons of audiobooks. That's what I do my my full-time living now is basically audiobooks. So I also edit audiobooks now. So I, when I record an audiobook, I send it off to an, an editor to edit my own stuff. Because it's better to have a second set of ears to hear any mistakes right. you made. They they proof my book to make sure I'm exact to the text. And they send me the pickups to where I pick up the things I got wrong. And I also do that for other people now. So I do – I edit other audiobooks and proof them as well. And so it kind of is a double income that way. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I do a lot of editing. And I also have been working on a short film for the past year called um, The Rest is Silence. And it's a Silence of the Lambs Shakespeare film um Ooh. it's an hour long and it's basically a short film of like a shakespeare version of silence of the lambs and i shot it i um edited it i'm doing the sound design uh the color grading all that stuff but there was another director um and the director is also playing hannibal lecter um and it's Ooh, an actor director yeah actor director and he's been in other short films before and he's done a lot of theater um but i'm i was basically the cameraman the uh, the lighting designer, it was a very, you know, running gun gorilla kind of film shoot. And, but it's basically done. So this weekend I'm going to be finishing that film. It's been a year in the wow. works because it, it, it takes so long to make even an independent film. If you want to do it well, um, and you get all these clips that I have this giant timeline of sound effects and music. And we have a music designer guy who made the music, original music for the film. Um, and it's coming out nice. soon. So I'll try to force Steve to watch some of it, uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> It is Shakespeare, so it's a little hard to get behind, but it's also Silence of the Lambs. So you kind of get the story, and this it was by a theater group that did a lot of um, – they did Shakespeare's Ghostbusters. They did Shakespeare's Terminator the Second. Uh, so they did, like, Terminator 2, but the Shakespeare version of it on stage. And this is their first, like, film foray into that. So we're probably going to introduce it to some film festivals and sequel kind of stuff we can get the traction we can get with that. But, I, yeah. I can see it now. Will thou fuck me? I'd fuck me. <laughs> Oh, we Wild had this. Wild <laughs> Our Buffalo Bill is wonderful, and we had this custom made um, uh, giant moth suit kind of thing made out of human skin for him to wear. And uh, there's a giant projection of a moth and weird lighting and music playing. It, it looks really cool. So wow. it, it's, it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So that's been my, my year. It's been an interesting year. A lot of weddings. Been to like four weddings in the past year. So, uh, yeah, a lot of people put them off because of COVID and I feel like they all stacked up. Exactly. So there was like my sisters included was in that uh, section. So there was a lot of that going on. But that's been uh, that's my update. But I think that brings us to some nerdy news. Oh, it's time for nerdy news. All right. So. I thought I'd just give some uh, recent announcements of nerdy TV shows and kind of news that we've had for nerdyish things. And as of today, we actually got the announcement that Facebook is going to be rebranding itself. Instead of fixing any of their problems that Facebook has morally or otherwise, they're just going to rebrand themselves and rename themselves. And they're calling themselves Meta. Meta. Sorry. Meta is the pronunciation. Uh, and their logo is the Mobius strip for some reason. 
Um, uh-huh. So we don't know when that's actually going to take effect, but they announced it today uh, because they wanted to rebrand themselves instead of actually fixing anything. So that's that's cool. That's some some nerdy tech news there. Um, and yeah, it's like when you switch high schools <laughs> and like you were the nerd and you want everyone to forget. And so oh, you yeah. change your name to Meta. Or you put on a fake accent or something. <laughs> you know? That's right. You don't fix any of your actually ingrown problems or, or trauma. You just kind of uh, change your name. Yeah, um, you're just racist with a British accent. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, also, there was a book I read uh, as a child, and uh, or not as a child, but as a teenager, and I never actually finished the series, which is Wheel of Time. Um, it was big with my stepbrother's family. A lot of them read Wheel of Time, and I loved it. It was a good series, but it was so thick and dense. There was so much of it. Each book is like, like a thousand books or something. Well, there's like 13 books, and they're all like 900 pages. And so it was just, Ugh. I got to the fourth book and just never got past that. And every time I got to a bookstore, I'd always buy the next book in the series just in case I'd eventually finish them. Uh, but I, so I have all, almost the whole series on my bookshelf, but I have only read up to the fourth book. But The Wheel of Time is becoming a series on Amazon Prime, and this is kind of a big deal because it's been a long time in the wake in the, in the works for this for uh, fans of Wheel of Time. They originally uh, – there was a company that held the rights to make it into a film for years and decades, uh, and they released a short film just to keep the rights because just like with Spider-Man, they have to keep making movies in order to keep the or rights. They lose them. They lose them, exactly. Yeah. So they made a short film starring Billy Zane. Um, that was released online just to keep the rights. Uh, it was like when he played one of the main characters of a flashback scene in the in the books. It was terrible. Um, but, but basically, now they finally got the the rights gone, and we and Amazon Prime is taking it and making a huge budget production a series of Wheel of Time and a la Game of Thrones. And it looks exciting, and it's a good book series, especially because the cool thing is that women are the ones in charge of all the power in that universe. So only women can wield magic. If men wield magic, they go insane. And so at least there'll be some strong female characters. Whereas like with Lord of the Rings and that kind of thing has always been a problem because there weren't a lot of strong female characters. They had to add some for the movies because this weren't in the books. Um, well, it's crazy to me that Amazon's putting that many eggs in one basket because they're also doing the Lord of the Rings series. They are. That's true. Like they're going crazy high fantasy, crazy high budget across the board. It's cr- it's just nuts. Yeah. And I'm a huge like um, uh, expanded portfolio of Tolkien. I've read the Silmarillion, the Lost Tales, and um, I'm in some Silmarillion groups on Facebook and they're all kind of going nuts over the Amazon Prime series for Lord of the Rings because it's, it's focused on the second age, which is right. Is it the age before the Lord of the Rings where Sauron was um, kind of like an almost inhuman form at that point, And he. Um, interacted with people and he talks and he's like a character. And so that could be a huge thing they could be doing on Amazon. So we have, no one has any idea what the series is going to cover yet on that series on Amazon prime, but it's, it's exciting. It's fucking exciting. And they have all the money in the world. So why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Other thing is uh game of Thrones is releasing their, uh, their prequel. They have the house of the dragon, which is based off the, uh, Oh my God, I'm forgetting the name of it. The blondes blood, um, uh, the Targaryens. the Targaryens. Yeah. Um, so that should be interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> the new Game of Thrones series? Uh, I don't know. The, right now, early reviews are that it has a very different tone mm. from Game of Thrones. And I'm interesting to find out what that is. Like comedic or something? Like, what does no. that mean? Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I can't imagine a different tone. So in that way, it intrigues me. Yeah. But that's not necessarily a good thing. It could be good or bad. And it has the guy who played Doctor Who. What's his face? Um, oh, yeah. Matt something? Not Matt Smith, but the one after Matt Smith. Um, 
No, he's in our intro. No, you're, you're right. Ties it, are cool. It is Matt Smith, not not David Tennant. It's Matt Smith. You're yeah, absolutely Matt correct. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. So he's in it. Um, another series coming to Netflix soon, which is Cowboy Bebop. And I, it was my gateway drug to anime uh, back in college. My friends in college. never got into this. Now, my friends in college all loved anime. I never watched anime ever. I don't think Steve did really either growing up. We Dragon just, Ball Z. That's as close as I got. You watched some of that? I didn't watch even Dragon Ball Z. Um, like, But just like my friends in college, like, okay, watch Cowboy Bebop. I'm like, okay, I'll watch that. And it was dark, gritty, well uh, narrated. Like the, the dub over voiceovers were fantastic. Um, and I follow some of those voice actors this day. Uh, and it's it's incredibly well done and fun and great music. And so it's pretty much the gateway drug of anime, Cowboy Bebop, um, for people who don't like anime. Um, and so I'm excited about this. And they're actually casting it very well. And they have some Asian representation, which is good because a lot of animes that have been made in movies, looking at you, Scarlett Johansson, um, have been <laughs> whitewashed. And so that's pretty exciting. Um, and then the only other, uh, nerdy news here I'm excited about is just the world of Star Trek. There is so much Star Trek stuff happening soon which is uh star trek strange new worlds is debuting soon which has captain christopher pike with spock and number one and uh nurse chapel and all these different characters that were small characters in the original series or from the pilot that are getting a whole new like episodic show which is pretty cool um discovery season four picard season two and also a new season of uh new series prodigy uh, coming soon, which is also a kids show. So you could show this to Joyce to get her as a Ooh. gateway. It's a Nickelodeon. Uh, oh, she already knows what Star Trek. Oh, is. of course she has to because of our other show, Muppet Trek, folks. Ooh. Uh, but Star Trek Prodigy is coming off with uh, is going Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon. And it's a kids show and it's all animated. And it has a lot of voices from other older Star Trek actors um, that will be in the show. But you won't need to know anything about Star Trek. And I think Joyce would be the perfect age to introduce her to this show, um, Prodigy, and just become her, make her addicted to Star Trek going forward. Um, have you heard about Prodigy at all? No, only that it's animated. That's like literally the only thing I know about it. Yeah, we'll take a look at the trailer when you get a chance because it's it's a lot of fun. And it looks like just like a bunch of rebels who are escaping from somewhere. They're all like teens or younger um, and all I know is that one guy from Hamilton, Davy Diggs, is going to be one of the voices. Okay. Um, but it's got a lot of teen and, and kid characters, and it's going to be fun. And has uh, Janeway is one of the voices. Um, so it's cool. Yeah. So check well, it out. Great. Now Muppets will never catch up. It's like <laughs> seven new shows. Oh, I know. Me? <laughs> we just need Muppets to make some new content that people actually enjoy so it stays on the air. <laughs> Well, speaking about Muppet content that yeah. people actually enjoy, uh, let's hop into the main segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what well, is our main segment, Steve? Halloween is a time for a long time in our tradition of great Halloween specials. And this year is no different. And this year brings us the Muppets Haunted Mansion. Woo. Uh, one of, let's say Disney's first thing with the Muppets, but I'm willing to say Disney's first major venture with the Muppets. Right. Uh, aside from little show like those little clippy shows and Muppets Now, which was it was OK. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It was OK. Uh, but this is really their first outing that shows that they're really putting some effort into it. Yeah. Decent budget. Um, yeah. Yeah. Decent budget cameos production. Uh, so I figure we'll talk a little bit about it. Sort of general impression, spoiler free, and then we'll do a full breakdown. Of what happened in the movie and then uh, maybe a little bit of trivia. 
and check it out on Disney Plus, Muppet Haunted Mansion. It's only about an hour and uh, yeah. let's say 52 minutes, actually. So, yeah, it's, yeah, less. it's easy to watch. Uh, so let's start with uh, some like general impression kind of stuff. So things I liked. I thought that there were a great and diverse smattering of Muppets. Yeah. Representation from like the Muppet. We're watching the show now, Muppet Trek, and I'm like recognizing all these Muppets. I'm like, this is a big representation of Muppets. That's true. Oh, yeah. Big cross section. A lot of monsters and ghosts for obvious reasons, but still a ton. Mm-hmm. Sam the Eagle and Pops and favorites like Rolf the Dog and New Zealand and, and those guys all make appearances. Mm-hmm. Uh, great cameos, which is like a hallmark for the Muppets, especially the Muppet movies. I will I will uh, say I was disappointed in the cameos, but I, we can talk about that later in the spoiler oh, section. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, none of them got major playtime, certainly. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Uh, the whole thing felt very Muppety, very serious. They kept it pretty light, with the exception of maybe one specific instance. Uh, good music, and I felt like it was the right amount of music. True. I like that. That's true. They weren't always hopping into a musical number. There was enough space in between them. And that can be a problem sometimes. And just some good, and this goes back to very, very Muppety feeling, some good funny moments. Oh, yeah. And so much puns. Puns all so, around. So things that I struggled with, and I'm going to guess a lot of people struggled with. Uh, some of the performances, specifically from the leads, was a little bit lackluster. Mm. And I think what that comes down to is that Dave Goals and Bill Beretta, who played Gonzo and Pepe, are just getting old. Dave Goals oh. is like 74, dude. Yeah, the that guy, makes sense. Um, but th- there's a scene early on where like, it goes on for like a minute and they barely move. Was like, he, was, was he puppeteering was, the, as well? I think he had to have been. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. But so it just, it sort of reinvigorates like, yes, it's great. They got Dave goals. He's like, he is the original guy left. Yeah. That's it. There's no other original guys <laughs> left guys, yeah. except for Frank Oz and Frank Oz just says, has basically recently come out and said, Disney says they want nothing to do with him. Yeah. I remember seeing that article. Um, so a little bit lackluster on some of the performances. Um, the, I think we found in the in in our other show Muppet Trek, just to throw a plug, uh, <laughs> that the Muppet Show episodes the B plot is really what drives it for me, and the B plot really d- dragged it down. Mm. What the would Pepe have been the plot. B plot at this? Oh, I guess we don't spoil anything yet, but yeah, yeah, the, the Pepe plot. Okay, gotcha. Uh, really suffered and was underdeveloped and felt tacked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you think? What are your general impressions before we get into real stuff? Uh, yeah, general impressions. I, I immediately thought first half was very strong. Second half was dragging and slow. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned the original Muppeteer playing Gonzo because I was watching with my girlfriend and she's watched some of the Muppets episodes with us, uh, with me while I watched them for Muppet Trek. And she's like, Gonzo's mouth isn't moving much. He's very static. Like it's not yeah. very animated. And I was in like, the oh. limo specifically, it was like, in the limos. Like, when she mentioned it, she's like, what he just, is happening? his mouth just seems stiff. Um, and his, his mouth is not moving very well with the words that he's saying. And I was like, Oh yeah, you're kind of right. And she brought that up and I was just like, and so I, now that you mentioned that he's also doing the Muppeteering at like 70 something years old, it might just be time for somebody else to take the reins. Uh, so yeah, maybe, yeah. And he's he's great. He's he sounds 
perfect. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's like you said, a little lackluster uh, there for that. Yeah. And and for me, I always say the cameos were a bit lame, but we'll get into what cameos there were into yeah, our spoiler section. Yeah, um, that's my personal opinion for that. Okay. But otherwise, well, the first half, I was like, this is gold. And then suddenly second half was like, okay, it's kind of bronze now, but, but the first yeah, half is gold. I can, I can even identify the point. Like, and I think we'll, we'll yeah. talk about it, but like the exact point where it just went, oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Can we get to the end now? Spoiler uh, zone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. Eat it up. Anna's got almost a year without Spoilers. hearing that one. <laughs> All right. So spoiler zone, go for it, Steve. <laughs> All right, so we open on Pepe and Gonzo in a limo, and this is the scene we were talking about specifically when uh, about him being lackluster, specifically when he's on the video call with Kermit. Mm. He barely moves. Yeah, like barely moves. There's no animation. Pepe is literally on his phone. It is the maybe the most boring Muppet scene <laughs> ever recorded. You're kind of watching right. a Muppet on a video call next to another Muppet on a phone. Was nothing there and like was nothing there. I, I get if they were like, oh, that's intentional showing how we are these days. We're always on our phones. But I mean, it was just it was not fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, I well, agree. Gonzo and Pepe are on their way to a mansion invited by the great MacGuffin, a mysterious magician and favorite of Gonzo's who's invited him for a Halloween challenge. Pepe's convinced himself that they are going to a famous pe- person's party. And great uh, MacGuffin's been missing for a couple of years, supposedly. Yeah. That's what they said. Yeah. Uh, we get a, our first cameo which, from uh, Yvette Nicole Brown of Community Fame, who plays the limo driver and informs them that she drops people off a lot, but she doesn't pick them up very often. And she's also talking dead a lot as well. Yeah. Uh, then we get uh, they 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 get dropped off. They head to the mansion, but before they've got to pass through a graveyard, we get a cameo by Darren Chris, who I know from Glee. I'm guessing most people know him from Glee. Uh, my girlfriend and- actually pointed out he's from uh, the Harry Potter, very Potter musical was where he first got his start, huh. uh, which was a very famous online thing where this, this high school did a, a Potter musical on their own without the rights to do it. But they made their own original songs. And then he from that fame, he got on Glee and then so forth. But it, it was wow. it's, it's a very good musical to watch. It's on YouTube. It's a lot of fun to watch. Uh, he performs the first musical number. Well, I guess there's music in the limo, but the first in-person musical number. Uh, Rest in Peace, a spooky number that provides just a bevy of cameos back to back to back. Oh, yeah. Uh, just real quick, the cameos. Danny Trejo from tons and tons of movies and TV. He was also did a cameo in Muppets Most Wanted. Uh, mm. Alfonso Ribeiro played Carlton on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Chrissy Metz, who most people know from This Is Us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeannie my Jenkins who's done some acting but she's a host for things like E Entertainment and she's hosted the Miss Universe pageant yeah Sashir Zamata who's a formal, former SNL cast member and then finally Ed Asner uh, mm-hmm. appearing as a ghost which is extra eerie <laughs> oh, <it's> true <laughs> and he doesn't do anything he literally sits there holding a glass he, has, he doesn't even have a bit yeah, he doesn't say anything or anything. <laughs> uh, and then we get five more rapid cameos with the singing bus. Uh, S- uh, Sky Jackson, who appears in s- to be some sort of Disney star. No idea. Uh, Jeff Keeley, who's actually a video game journalist and commentator, and he was a big f- part of G4 TV. Random. When it still existed. Pat Sajak, longtime host of Wheel of Fortune. I didn't even see him. 
<laughs> uh, J- Justina Mikado, who's a longtime primarily TV actress with roles on Private Practice, ER, and Jane the Virgin. No idea. And the final one, who I couldn't recognize because they warped his face so much, was Craig Robinson. Oh, I love Craig Robinson, but I didn't, I didn't recognize him at all. Funny man of office fame. I saw it. I was like, he looks really familiar, but who the hell is that? And I looked up and I went, oh, they did a really bad job with him. Wow. I didn't recognize him at all. Huh. Uh, they sing a spooky musical number about how the, the dead want to rest in peace. Which kind of ends in the, uh, the, uh, the ghost song from the ride of uh, yeah. Haunted Mansion, which is nice. It ended in that song. Goes up to socialize. Exactly. Um, after this, they head into the mansion where they're greeted by their ghost host, played by funny man Will Arnett who tells them about the challenge that they have to spend the entire night and face their fears or they'll never leave. Ooh. Uh, there's some really great moments here. This is like the very Muppety stuff that I really felt, which was the dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah. Like dun, 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 dun. No, no, dun, dun. <laughs> uh, there's like two mummy ghosts that, that hop in with dun, dun, duns. And then the screaming goat. That was fun. also just felt very Muppety. Uh, Pepe and Gonzo wander the halls of the mansion uh, Pepe splits off to go into the famous people's room <laughs> where he runs into Juan Stamos. <laughs> Juan Stamos, okay. <laughs> uh, who turns into a very scary monster and scares Pepe away. Uh, Pepe and Gonzo attempt to run out of the mansion in various ways, but they're stopped and like event and come back to the same place over and over again. Uh, they enter a room with a crystal ball filled with a ghostly head of Miss Piggy, uh, but the music played by the Electric Mayhem is a bit overwhelming. And they're dismissed and they go and take a 15. <laughs> uh, and she shows them the exit. We then get another cameo. And this one is really interesting. Yes. I knew it had to be specific, so I had to look it up. But the maid who comes in to clean the glass uh, is Kim Irvine. She is a Disney Imagineer who has worked on the Haunted Mansion. But her mother, Leota Toombs, was also an early Disney Imagineer, worked on the original Haunted Mansion. And played Madame Leota, the woman in the glass ball in the original Haunted Mansion ride recordings. Yes. And my girlfriend and I, as soon as we saw her come in and didn't recognize who that woman is, we looked her up and we're like, oh, my God, because we've cool seen connection. We've cool. seen that 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 uh, we've been on that ride multiple times living in Orlando. And so since we're children and so we've seen that face multiple times and that that, that was her daughter is so cool. Like I, that was like an actual great cameo. I love and apparently that. her mother's an Imagineer. She's an Imagineer and her children are Imagineers. Oh, One of her kids is an Imagineer. That's cool. Three generations. That's really cool. Uh, Gonzo and Pepe go on the run, uh, but then they're run over by a food tram being pushed by Sweetums and they get pushed into the ghostly banquet hall. <laughs> this is where we get the most Muppets in the entire thing. Kermit comes out to introduce the, the mansion show. Uh, who incl- which includes Gazi the Hatbox Bear. <laughs> it's filled with terrible and great death and bone puns. And we even get Statler and Waldorf, who are basically riding in one of the ride carts. There's even the speakers in the side from the Haunted oh Mansion my ride. Gosh, that was so perfect. <laughs> and they're heckling and doing their normal shtick. This leads to another musical number, which is loosely based on Be Our Guest from Beauty and the Beast, uh, called Life Hereafter. Hmm. Which is good, has a lot of a lot of cameos, a lot of moments, felt very, very Muppety. Um, and I am sad to say that in my opinion, this is where the movie derails after this musical number. After that point, I think you're absolutely right. Uh tons of monsters, but then the butler leads Gonzo away. Peppa Pepe is lured away by a beautiful ghostly woman. 
Uh, the butler tells Gonzo there's only one room that no one's ever entered. So, of course, Gonzo has to go enter it. Room 999, which turns out to be room 666. Oh, yeah. Elsewhere, the lady ghost and Pepe flirt, during which it's slowly basically revealed that she's married many times and killed all of her husbands. And then she wants to get married to Pepe. Which is actually a nod to the character in the Haunted Mansion ride who right. decapitates her husband. So that's a thing that is in the ride. So that's that was kind of cool initially. It's just that it derails after that. Yeah, it just didn't go anywhere correctly. Right. It's too slow. <laughs> uh, we get the tie the knot tango, which is kind of a throwaway musical number. Um, after which she proceeds to poison Pepe with spiders. <laughs> For some reason. Uh, y- Yeah. It did lead to a funny line of like, oh, these graves make my tummies feel funnies. Um, but like, besides that, it wasn't worth it. And it didn't go anywhere. Um, a ghostly priest uh, played by Uncle Deadly shows up and they start a wedding with the ghosts of her other dead husbands there, played by various Muppets. Gonzo enters room 666, where a mirror appears and Gonzo is faced with himself, who reveals that the ghosts are trapped in the mansion by their own fear. Hmm. Uh, and, and Gonzo realizes he fears being alone, but then he transforms. I also got lost here. He <laughs> transforms into like a ghostly shriveled version of himself with skeletal hands. And then he sees the Muppet Halloween party he's missing. And he realizes he faces his fear of that. If he's not doing crazy stuff, people won't care about him. And he realizes by hearing Kermit that he's like, Kermit says, we like you for you, basically. And he's he basically saying he's afraid to die alone and he'll be by himself as an old man. I think that was kind of the thing they were going for. But yeah. 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 But he faces the fear. He's able to escape the room and he's about to get out. But then uh, he realizes he can't leave without Pepe. No, of course. Not. So Gonzo races across the mansion, stops the wedding and him and Pepe jump out of a window. <laughs> Uh, running through the cemetery, the keeper is there, and he's made their tombstones, which I thought was cute. That was cute. Uh, and all the ghosts that are there tell them to try to get them to stay. And just as they're running out, they're stopped by the ghost host. He pronounces them free to go and then reveals that he's the ghost of the great MacGuffin. <laughs> and gives Gonzo an autograph and then disappears as the sun rises. Uh, the limo comes back to pick them up. They head to the breakfast with the gang, which is mentioned one time earlier. Uh, only to realize they've picked up some hitchhiking ghosts, which is another great reference to the Haunted Mansion ride itself. Yeah, you can see the picture of yourself in the car with ghosts with you, which is um, neat. And then we get Dancing in the Moonlight, sort of a cameo set of all the different people that did parts and singing over it. It's cute and keeps it entertaining through the end credits. Yeah, it was a cute little dance sequence. Overall, very positive. For the first time in a long time, I am cautiously optimistic about the future of the Muppets. Mm-hmm. They put money and production behind this in a way that really hasn't been done with the Muppets for a while. So it makes me hope this is the first of many. Yeah, because like they could live in this kind of area of specials with random uh, hosts they could and they could build from that and make it into, uh, into movies into tv shows they and just, disney they, has such a stable of celebrities yeah and that's they, they've had such big misfires they, they weren't using the muppets in the right way and i think that this is a way to use them correctly and even though it was slow in the second half they they did well in the first half and they kind of knew where they should be in that first half and they can work with that 
Um, so I'm looking at some of your notes and the one that catches me that I'm like, yeah, uh, the Kermit voice. Yes. Um, <laughs> so there's a new Kermit, obviously, because this voice yeah. was very distracting. It's Matt Vogel. Mm-hmm. Who is, um, who is, he's a, he is at this point, a very long-term puppet performer. He's been involved with Sesame street. Um, he has really paid his dues in the Muppet world. Mm-hmm. And I think that they trusted him with Kermit as a character, but not because he could do the voice. Ah, gotcha. Um, but you are absolutely right. Kermit is distractingly different. The comment that my girlfriend and I were talking about was that like, we have several friends who don't do very good impressions but they still did a better impression of Kermit than this guy did. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Like his, it yes. wasn't even close to like Kermit. It's like, but she did say like my girlfriend was saying when, when he sings, he sounds more like Kermit. And I, I think that's true. But when he's, when he's just talking as Kermit, it's distractingly different. Um, it's like a whole new voice. So um, anyone, Steve Whitmire you know. who, who took over after Jim about, I think nine to 10 months after Jim died, uh, you know, Jane sent him one of the original Kermit puppets so he could practice. And uh, Steve Whitmire tells stories about how, like, he really struggled with the voice and really struggled finding it. And he went and he had a bunch of home movies on the set of the Muppet Show. And he went back and watched them. And he basically he realized that whenever Jim went into Kermit, he did this face. Mm. And he said basically by copying that, he was able to find the voice. And unfortunately, Matt Vogel doesn't. He doesn't have that. What was he the controversy that removed Steve Jim. Whitmire from this? Um, so th- that happened a couple of years ago at this point. Um, but he had creative differences. He very much had this opinion that he was Kermit. Oh. And Kermit was him. And the production company, Disney and the Hensons all basically said, no. Mm. Kermit will exist after you. And I guess that's now. Um, so major major creative differences um he really so now that you've watched the muppet show with me kermit is saucy and arrogant and not afraid to be a little bit mean yeah and steve whitmire kind of took his character and made him like the just the constant butt of the joke the constant victim yeah, you're right. That was a big change from the show because the show he's always like, "I'm in charge. I'm eh, screw you. I'm making a joke behind your back." And then the movies. Right. By the time I guess Steve Whitmire took over, it was like he was like, "Oh, the poor sad sack," you know, like he was the sad sack that everyone made fun of. So there were comments overall about where Steve had taken the character. Between that and creative differences, Disney didn't renew his contract. Gotcha. Um, and then the Hensons came out and said they backed it. Hmm. Like wow. there was a lot of controversy if that's what Jim would want. And I think Brian and, and the sister came out and were like, yes, we a hundred percent back this. That's fair, I guess. But he was, he was better at the voice, but at the same time, not better at the character, I guess, which makes sense. Right. Right. And so with Kermit, I'm trying to, I'm trying to view it much more from like a, a, a holistic point of view of mm. like, yeah, the voice sucks, but how's the rest of the performance? How's the movement? Yeah. How's he selling the character? So there's a lot to consider, but I just think he suffers from, he didn't know Jim. Yeah, that's true. You know, there are so there are fewer and fewer Muppet performers now that knew Jim and worked with Jim in any capacity that it's going to become, I don't know, 
it's hard to say what Muppets is going to become. I said Dave Goals is like the original guy left. He is it. Season one of the Muppet Show, Dave Goals is the only guy left, and he's seventy four. And he, from this, I'm going to say can't do it anymore. Yeah, it's one of the trivia things that I was seeing is that uh, the scene where Gonzo confronts his true fear of being old and alone has a particular resonance considering the character's puppeteer, Dave Gols, is the last of late Jim Henson's players still performing in the Muppets. And that's yeah. that kind of like a poignant scene, seeing that he was he is the last and he is alone. And looking in that mirror at all his friends who were, used to be there, it makes that scene even more sad. It's like he's looking into a mirror of all the people who he used to know and they're all dead. They're all gone. different people now. Or different yeah. people, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a big thing. Um, but beyond that, beyond the Kermit, uh, celebrity cameos, I thought were just very B-list celebs and kind of unimpressive. And a lot of them, I didn't even know who the fuck they were. Um, and it was just kind of like, I felt that was unfortunate because we've gone from like, uh, the, within a few years of like Lady Gaga and like Elton John or something being guests. Uh, whereas now it's like, who is that guy from GTV? <laughs> what the fuck? Like, yeah, there were some <laughs> randoms. It's like, but but this is a giant, a uh, big special, which is very well done initially with the Haunted Mansion. They could have gotten big A-list celebs, but we have some people that we have no idea who they are. Um, but now I mind thought, you, there, there's at least two of those where it's like, oh, I don't know who that is because I'm too old. That like too. the like the Disney starlet, no idea. Woman. I yeah. was like, I don't know who that is, but I'm sure. <laughs> Kids watching this are like, oh, it's her from the thing. I don't know. But even like back in the movies, like they had like Columbo and like that wasn't for kids. That was like the adults who were watching right. who knew who Columbo was. Um, but anyways, I love Gonzo and Pepe and they were always my favorite during the movies and Rizzo. But Rizzo is gone, obviously. Rizzo, but, uh, Steve Whitmire. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um, but yeah, overall, pretty good and a good introductory thing to, you know, more more to come, like you said. As I said, I, I, I just hope for the first time in a long time, I am cautiously optimistic about the future of the Muppets. And that's good. That is good. So some trivia for this. Uh, yeah. We have, uh, this is the first ever Halloween Muppet movie special, uh, movie slash special. When it comes to holiday movies slash specials, the Muppets are known better for their Christmas works, including Muppet Christmas Carol, Letters to Santa, and A Very Merry Muppet Christmas, and Muppet Family Christmas. Um, we have, uh, you mentioned that already about Imagineer Kim Irving, who plays the Haunted Mansion maid, being related to the, uh, original ride and the Imagineers. Brian Henson, the son of Jim Henson, returns as Sal Manella, a character he created for the Muppets Tonight to focus on the business side of the Jim. Oh, sorry. I skipped ahead. <laughs> a character created for Muppets Tonight, uh, has not performed since the Muppets Wizard of Oz in 2005. So this movie brought him back from 2005 as he retired from puppeteering to focus on the business side of the Jim Henson company. So this is his first movie since 2005. I thought it was pretty cool. Brian Henson was in there. And that's the guy who sing, kind of sings like Frank Sinatra a little bit there. No, that's so uh, Salmonella is his is that guy, Johnny Fiamma. That's his his monkey companion. Oh, his gotcha. Salmonella. So that was Brian Henson. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad they got him back, and it shows at least somewhat of a seal of approval. Yeah, that, that he wants this to happen. Um, characters such as Robin the Frog and all members of the Electric Mayhem can be seen sporting their outfits from the Muppet Christmas Carol inside the mansion. So they're wearing oh, their nice. Muppet, yeah, they're wearing those same exact costumes. 
Uh, Gonzo. So that's ex- where they buried Tiny Tim. <laughs> yeah. Gonzo accepts the invitation to the Haunted Mansion because of his fondness for a magician called the Great MacGuffin. As Steve talked about before, MacGuffin. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock popularized the phrase MacGuffin, which has become widely adopted in fiction as shorthand for any object or plot device that advances the story forward. MacGuffins can be a thing, device, or event that is necessary to the plot and the motivation of the characters, but insignificant, unimportant, or irrelevant in itself. So Gonzo's MacGuffin is finding the Great MacGuffin, and ultimately this goal only serves to help advance Gonzo toward facing and conquering his fears, which he does in the end of the show. So that is the Muppets Haunted Mansion. Check it out, folks. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. As a true deep-hearted Muppet fan, I can say that there is some truly good Muppety stuff buried in between a few interesting slash poor choices. Yeah, exactly. It's like a not a misfire, but like a a, a stepping stone in the right direction, basically. All right. So that takes us on to uh, something I try to do in all of our holiday specials. Yes. And that's the reason for the season. Woohoo! Where I'm going to talk about the origins of some things associated with Halloween. I've done candy in the past. Uh, I think we did haunted houses maybe last year or the year before. Yeah. And this year I'm going to talk about some of the most common fears and sort of monsters associated with the holiday and where they came from. Ooh. So let's start talking about werewolves. Mm. Well, werewolves have been around since early history. And the 500 BC's Herodotus described a tribe called the Nuri somewhere in modern day Kazakhstan area who for a few days every year would turn into wolves in, in 200 BC. There was a festival called uh, the Lycaea in which adolescent males gathered around wolf mountain and possibly performed ritual sacrifice in order to turn into wolves. Oh, cool. <laughs> this stuff is so old that some of these accounts were kind of mixed uh, in medieval B- Europe. Belief in werewolves was widespread. King Canute, who ruled a bunch of England, Denmark, and Norway around year 1000, had laws whose specific goal was uh, that madly audacious werewolf do not too widely devastate nor bite too many of the spiritual flock. (laughs) Uh, Then you have the European witch trials, which were real hot from about the 1500s, 1600s, (laughs) and to the mid-1700s in some parts of France, uh, where one of the most common accusations levied against people was, uh, was being a werewolf. Uh, kind of lycanthropy, which at that point was more so wolf charming and wolf talking and wolf riding. Mm. Uh, Most werewolves are described as vulnerable to silver. but Where the hell did that come from? Uh, This is around the early 1600s when the German city of Griefwald was supposedly infested with werewolves and a young boy suggested they gather all the silver buttons and trinkets and make them into bullets. And that's how they killed all the werewolves off. Ooh. but when did werewolves turn from oversized dogs into human hybrid creatures? Well, in 1935, there was a werewolf movie called Werewolf of London, where the lead actor, a guy named Henry Hall, was real hot shit, and he refused to spend long hours in the makeup chair. And so the makeup department had to come up with like a less intrusive makeup look for him. What? And that is how like the modern anthropomorphic werewolf came into being was this actor who didn't want to sit in a chair that's it that that he had to that's why he stood up on two legs is because of the 1935 movie 
Yeah, and oh they made God. him like much less wolf-like, and all the prosthetics were much less because this actor oh, just refused. That's awesome! I didn't know that until a later Universal picture, nineteen forty-one, The Wolfman. Yeah, featuring Lon Chaney Jr. That werewolves became part of the full-blown American horror culture. Wow, I didn't know that was how that came about. That's uh, crazy. Then you got vampires. The idea of creatures who drink blood has been around for a really, really long time, with it being featured in almost every ancient culture in some form or another. Uh, though in most cultures, it was attributed to demons or evil deities. Uh, the Ampusa, a daughter of Hecate in Greek mythology, would transform into a beautiful woman and then come to Earth and sleep with men and then drink their blood. Cool. <laughs> uh, then you have the Norse Draugr from about the 1300s, which was a spirit or undead creature who would haunt Barrows, had superhuman strength and would subsist on human blood. Also cool. Uh, then in the 1700s, you get the first officially reported case of a vampire in Serbia. <laughs> Petar Blagojevic died, came back a few days later and asked his son for food. His son refused and was found the next day dead from blood loss. Hmm. And then nine other of their neighbors died the same way over the next like week and a half. <sighs> And this was well-documented, and local officials investigated the whole thing. Huh. This event, along with one other, sparked this huge Eastern European panic about vampires that followed. And that's right about the time the term vampire came into being, was right after that. Huh. Uh, but who really shaped our view on vampires today? Well, that would be a gentleman by the name of Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula in 1897. Uh, the perception of vampire vampirism as being a diseased uh, blood disease mixed with sexuality uh, really set the Victorian uh, England world ablaze because uh, there was a huge outbreak of syphilis at the time. <laughs> oh God. And the consumption. Mm. And so them making vampirism akin to a blood disease or a sexual disorder really struck with people. It was very timely. <laughs> But uh, also, I, I will say that yeah. a quick note on that. My it's a horror film class back in uh, college, and one of the things they said was always so sexual about vampires is the insertion. Basically, it's like I'm going to suck, I'm going to put my my fangs inside of you and then suck the blood out of you. It's all very sexual. It's very sexual. Oh, so yeah. Bram Stoker had the right idea. <laughs> uh, following this, we get iconic movies. Speaking of film class, like the 1922 Nosferatu. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Bella Lugosi in 1931 as Dracula. And that's what solidified vampires into pop culture. Mm -hmm. And while actual belief in vampires has stemmed over the years, there are occasional claims of their existence. Mm -hmm. uh, I could find as recent as 1970, the press claimed that there was a vampire living in the Highgate Cemetery in London. And it drew vampire hunters from across the world. Vampires in London. Uh, now we got uh, coulrophobia. Better known as the fear of clowns. Mm -hmm. But where the hell did this come from? Well, the idea of a bad clown is nothing new. With characters in literature like Harlequin, uh, which started in the late 1500 Commedia dell'arte. But these characters were more mischievous scamps trying to thwart their master's plans <laughs> than like evil clowns. Uh, but then... In 1930, uh, 1393, 1393, there was an event that's now become known as the Ball of the Wild Men. Charles VI, who was a young king of France, he actually went insane in his 20s, <laughs> like legit went insane in his 20s. Uh, he was celebrating the third marriage of one of his wife's ladies in waiting. And at the time, widows, second and third marriages 
were like buffoonery events <laughs> with tricks and costumes and stuff. Weird. They weren't they weren't taken seriously. <laughs> so Charles VI and five of the members of his noble family got sewn into linen costumes covered with resin and flax, and they came in posing as wood savages. Okay. They did dances and they howled and they had all sorts of nonsense and they dared people to guess who was behind the costume. And a family friend showed up drunk and late, <laughs> grabbed a torch off the wall and held it over their heads, claiming he couldn't see. <laughs> and four of them caught on fire and burned to death. Jesus. Charles and one other made it away, escaped, escaped un- unharmed, but four people died at this wedding. <laughs> this became the inspiration for an 1849 short story by now horror classic Edgar Allan Poe called Hop Frog, where in a very similar course of events, a court jester or fool uh, was abused and insulted by a king and his advisors. Well, there was a masquerade and the king needed an idea. So Hop Frog said, why don't you guys go as orangutans? Hmm. Cover yourself in tar and flax and chain yourselves together uh, and go to this go to this masquerade. So the king and his advisors do this. They go in. Hop Frog ties a rope to the chain that they're all chained up with, hoists them into the air. Everyone thinks this is a real good time. And then Hop Frog sends them all on fire. <laughs> oh, God. So that's an Edgar Allan Poe short story. But that is the first real indication of a killer clown or yeah. killer fool in modern times. So kind of Edgar Allan Poe puts that forward. Yeah. Yeah. It took a real event and then took it and warped it a little bit and made it something a little bit bigger. That is cool. That is cool. Uh, after that, though, it it disappeared. Like this idea of a killer pl- clown disappeared until the 70s. Uh, when in 1978, there was the arrest of serial killer and rapist John Wayne Gacy. Well, Mr. Gacy performed as a clown named Pogo at parties and events. And while he never wore the costume while doing any of the terrible things he did, the media latched onto this and branded him the killer clown. Because that was his like day job. Yeah. Gotcha. Then following this, shortly after 1986, we get a nice little horror author by the name of Stephen King, <laughs> who introduces his character Pennywise the Clown in It, and that cemented the killer clown in the American zeitgeist. And maybe so people's frightened people's, of that. <laughs> yeah, people's real deep fears of clowns are a relatively recent cultural thing. But based in some historical stuff from back to the 1300s. <laughs> oh, yeah. 1393. <laughs> that Ball was a cool of the deep wild men. I love it. <laughs> so that's this year's reason for the season and give you a little bit more to be afraid of. Oh, yeah. And now it's time for... If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend Pleasant. All right, so we got some radical recommends for the Halloween season. And I'm going to throw in some stuff that is uh, some scary, spooky, Halloween-y kind of things that you might enjoy. Now, I'm late to the party on a lot of these things. um, But the first one I'm going to say is What We Do in the Shadows TV show. So for years, I've loved the What We Do in the Shadows movie. It's been around for, God, probably 10 plus years now, maybe. Um, have you seen the movie, Steve? Uh, yes, of course. Taika okay. Waititi. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. yeah, Taika Waititi does it. And uh, he actually produced with uh, Jermaine Clement, who is also from uh, uh, the Fly of the Concords, 
they they did the show the movie together and also he they produced the show together uh what we do in the shadows which has three seasons now and the four seasons coming out soon but my girlfriend and i finally started watching the first season it's on hulu if you have hulu uh it's an fx show and they can curse they can do a lot of stuff in the show for some reason <laughs> um but it's really funny and enjoyable and just cute like, I know it's supposed to be spooky and gothic, but it's also just adorable and cute a lot of the time. Even though they're killing people, it's still just cute and funny. So, highly recommend that. Have you seen the show at all, Steve? Bits and pieces. What shows up on Reddit? Because mm. uh, I don't have Hulu or FX. Gotcha. But yeah, whenever we, it comes to Netflix, I'll watch it in a second. We just have Hulu, so we, we watch it on Hulu, and it's, it's a lot of fun, so worth it. Second thing is, on Netflix, we have the film Malignant which is uh, directed by James Wan, who has done wonderful things with other horror films like, um, oh God, I'm forgetting them now. Uh, the Conjuring, those kind of, the Conjuring film universe, yeah. that kind of thing. But Malignant is a little different for him because it's kind of funny and fun and entertaining, almost like an action movie, but also some funny parts. But it's not like a full-on comedy, but it's, it's definitely scary, but it's definitely just interesting and fun. And I definitely recommend Malignant to anybody who enjoys horror films, but maybe doesn't want full on too scary uh, and wants some fun involved in that. So Malignant is wonderful on Netflix. Is it a, is it a ghost film? Not ghost. No, it's right, actually good. very science based, surprisingly. All right, um, good, because as we covered many times, ghosts, ghosts aren't real, real. <laughs> which I think on the latest episode of Cosmic Pizza podcast, they rec- they uh, reference our ghosts aren't real thing on our <laughs> From a plan. Yeah. Everyone needs to know. Yeah. Ghosts aren't real. (laughs) But yeah, so Malignant is is fun. It's actually scientific based. It's it's well shot. It's well acted. It's it's a lot of fun. Netflix. Other radical recommend the last one here. Um Late to the Party, I know, but Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Um Anna loves that show. Love it. Oh, did you watch it? No, not even for a Because ghosts aren't real. (laughs) Because ghosts aren't real. But you're missing so much great entertainment. Um, but the, Am I? You are, because it's great. There's great character work. There's great acting. There's great just um, it's it's more about the people in the show than about the idea of ghosts necessarily. It's just about how they deal with this family dynamic. But it's also fucking scary as hell. Great jump scares. But it's not all about jump scares. The whole thing just feels eerie and creepy throughout the entire time. You feel unease. Look, if I want that, I'll just watch Seventh Heaven again. OK, <laughs> Seventh Heaven. <laughs> worried about what that dad is going to do. Oh, you see later on was a pedophile. Uh, but yes. anyways, but the haunting of Hill house, very well done. And there's a sequel, not a sequel, but like it's an anthology series. The next season of that was basically the haunting of blind Manor, uh, uh-huh. which is made by the same creators, but it's an, the same actors, but it's a different show, entirely different characters entirely. I haven't seen blind Manor yet. Um, but the cool thing was, is that my girlfriend and I, we live here in Orlando, so we can go to Halloween horror nights at universal studios and they had a whole haunting of Hill House house, uh, a, a uh, what do you call it? A, a Halloween house. What's the word for that? Haunted house. Haunted house, basically. Uh, so, really? Yeah. So they got a haunt. They had, they had a haunting of Hill House themed house at uh, Halloween Horror Nights, and oh. and it was wonderful because they had all this sound design uh, from the show and all these different characters from the show that were in the house. It was wonderful. But haunting of Hill House is just very well crafted of uh, film and. Even though it's on television, uh, it's a series, but it's just it's it's well made. So highly recommend. That's my my radical recommends right there. Ooh, well, I think that takes us on to trailer reviews. (laughs) 
All right. What you got for us, Steve? So this, uh, to stay in the Halloween theme, I decided to pick uh, what is sure to be a modern classic. Uh, another follow-on to the Halloween series, Mike Myers' Halloween Kills. Yes. And it's already uh, out in theaters now. This is weird for us to do a trailer review of something that's already out. It just was too good to pass up. <laughs> uh, and they, how? How we do more. The end of the last movie seemed pretty definitive. True. They spent the whole movie trapping him in a house and then burning it down. And this movie starts with him breaking out of a burning down house, I guess. Yeah. Um, so for the trailer indicates that, you know, they, of course, oh, Michael's not really dead. Okay, what else is new in all these friggin' movies <laughs> that Michael's not really dead? Go figure. Uh, it, it's all about the family and him trying to make it back to his family home and hunt down his relatives. But this time the town is going to get vengeance. The town has been putting up with Mike Myers crap for 40 years. <laughs> Screw this guy. <laughs> and they're going to hunt him down. Um, so I don't, I don't know. The trailer looks like exactly what you would expect. <laughs> Just exactly what you would expect. And I'm not expecting much. Uh, and in true play Nerds fashion, a stork delivered a copy of this this movie to me. Oh, yeah. And I, and I did watch it. Oh, you watched it already. Okay. And here's what I will say, having seen the film versus okay. the preview. Um, while Mike Myers and the Halloween movies are always very gritty and a lot of violence, this this movie was, even for a Halloween film, was hyper hyper violent. Oh. And and not only hyper violent, fast violence. It was much less about the stalking and not knowing where Michael was and more about like, oh, he's coming, and then we get to watch a minute of him do something atrocious. Ooh. Right. Um so I don't know if that's in response to today's horror audiences mm. or the director they chose, but this movie has a very different violent feeling than many of the other Halloween films, which is funny. Cause I just watched the, there's a great show on Netflix is also called the movies that made us originally it was the toys that made us. And then they made one called the movies that made us on spectacular, Inst- highly recommend. They're everybody. so good. Great documentary series. And they did one on, on Halloween and I watched it the other day and it's about, you know, 43 minutes. You can watch it. Um, it's, and it shows how John Carpenter, the original director of the original Halloween, um, who directed it, he he wrote it, he made the, the score, he it was his baby. Um, he didn't he wanted not to show any gore. There was no blood in the original Halloween at all. Um, you just see things happening, you anticipation, and so there was the whole reboot with Rob Zombie who did Halloween, and there was now there was H2O, there was all the sequels that he wasn't involved with. But now you're right. This is going completely against what he wanted for Halloween, which is to be anticipatory and 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 scared of what was coming and not just focusing on the gore and the violence. No, this was gore galore and not only gore, mm. but like the showing of creation of the like hyper violence. Mm. Is the best way I can put it. Yeah, that's just kind of lazy. It's just it's kind of lazy, in my opinion. I don't like right. Like I don't like torture porn. I don't like all those kind of movies. I, I like and I like scary uh, tension. Is what I like, and this is that doesn't sound good to me. No, that's sad. Um, so the preview 
Mind you, the aspect of like the town getting together finally was neat. Sure, yeah. And it was an interesting angle that we have not seen the hunter becoming the hunted kind of deal with him before, but it did not play out well. And as always, without giving too much away about the ending, Mike Myers just gets to be magic. <laughs> oh, no. Well, that's why I was fine with that with the initial five or six films. Uh, they explained that he has some kind of magic. Well, uh, in the sixth one, which we reviewed a couple Halloweens ago, they literally, they, they, yeah, the Curse of Thorn. Oh, the they one that, literally uh, explained that he's magic. Yeah, that was that the one that uh, Paul Rudd was in? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they literally explained that he's magic. So basically, folks, they have these six initial films that all try to follow the same canon that build up this thing that he's magic and part of this coven that cursed him to make him do these killings. And then we have uh, Halloween H2O, which also had Jamie Lee Curtis in it. But then these and then we had the Rob Zombie reboots of the films, the original films. And then we have these new movies, these last two, which have Jamie Lee Curtis in them, which are ignoring everything but the first one. Not even the second one. The second one was pretty much directly canon with the first one. But no, they're like only the first one's canon. And so they have this this new one. And then the Halloween Kills is the second one. They're making a trilogy of them. So there's a third one coming soon. Um, and so I'm curious to see where this goes, but it's just like, it's weird that they're not even ignoring the second one, which establishes that Laurie Strode is actually his sister or like his cousin or something. She's related to him because the first movie, you don't even know that she's related to him. They never established that. So it's just, it's weird. I don't know, but I, I will say tonight at trivia before I did this show, we had the trivia question. Uh, what is this theme song and who composed it? And they played 10 seconds of the Halloween theme song. <laughs> and nice. Julie and I got it right because we knew it was Halloween composed by John Carpenter. So there you go. But anyways, good trailer review, Steve. Yeah. yeah. Right on theme. I'm scared to watch it now at this point. Hyperviolence. Hyperviolence. Yeah. But folks, that uh, brings us to an end of episode 138 of A Play on Nerds, the Halloween 2021 special. Uh, we, we might be back sooner than you expect. You don't know. That's right. We don't know when the next Play Nerds episode will be, but we'll keep coming back and being your nerdy co-hosts if you guys keep on coming back and being our nerdy audience. Thanks again, Internet. That's right. And stay nerdy, my friends. Thanks for listening to A Play on Nerds. Find all of this content and even more nerdy news, reviews, and fun at www.aplayonnerds.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, check us out. And how. How.